Hey folks, welcome to episode 124 of the FLW Podcast in Shaftesbury, Vermont. I'm Jody White, and you're in Hopkins, Minnesota, right Kyle? I am, I'm in the office. In Hopkins, Minnesota, it's Kyle Wood. Yeah. Uh, we are, well Kyle's back from Champlain, I'm kind of back, I went home, I'm, I'm getting ready to vacate real hard. <laughs> uh, you deserve uh, it. Get my, get my chillax slash hog catching on um but right now i'm sitting uh sitting down uh we may hear some chickens in this podcast i'm not outside it was getting a little breezy um also we had a little audio issue early on so we're using a backup mic i don't think it'll be quite as crisp and lovely and just like i'm there with you as it usually is but it should be okay and listenable uh that's yeah it'll it'll make do uh but anyhow we've got a uh we've got a big slew of topics this week um, we're gonna uh, we're gonna have an interview with uh, someone TBD. Uh, gonna be excellent, I'm sure. Kyle is oh, yeah. looking forward to doing it. It'll be great. Um, then uh, after that, we are gonna talk Kentucky Lake for the tour event there. We're gonna talk Potomac Coast FLW Series Northern Division kickoff there. We're gonna talk Champlain for the final of the Walmart FLW Tour season. We got a AOI ROI. COY, you name it, we got it going on there. Scott Martin makes it number three at Champlain. A lot of action in that one. And uh, then we finally got a Forest Week Cup field. The the uh, tour season is over, and we'll talk a little bit about that too. And mm-hmm. then I think we're going to probably be out of here because uh, I got stuff to do, Kyle. You got, got hogs to catch. Exactly. That's what mm-hmm. I'm saying. So uh, shall we throw it over to our uh, yet-to-be-announced mystery interview? Let's do so. Okay. Without further ado, here is someone awesome. And now we are joined with the 2016 BFL All-American champion, Jeremy Lawyer. Jeremy, what's going on, man? Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing well, doing well. Uh, how are things uh, down in Missouri? They're hot. But, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, we got a nice breeze today and some shade to work in, so uh, it's a nice day. Well, that's a good deal. So uh, you're taking a little time out of out of work to talk with us. So I appreciate that. Um, yeah, you bet. Anytime. And before we get into it, um, so what what is it? Uh, what do you do? I'm actually the city administrator in a small town in Southwest Missouri named Sircoxy. I've been doing it about 17 years, but I take care of the water and the wastewater and the streets and anything to do with the public works and the parks and oh, kind of oversee okay. everything. Cool, cool. And uh, obviously they're you know, flexible with you getting some time off to go uh, catch fish and win tournaments and such. Oh, I tell you what, that, I've been very fortunate, you know, uh, we've had some awful good mayors in the past and council members that uh, understand, you know, the passion I've got for the tournaments and still, uh, you know, the effort I put out in this job. So as long as I don't leave them hanging on anything and I cover my bases, they've been awful good over the years. <laughs> well, right on, man. I think uh, right out the gate here, I think we should obviously probably get into uh, – you know, your win on, on Barkley, I think a couple of weeks ago now. Um, yeah. But now having so much time to kind of have, you know, sat and it, I imagine it probably sunk in, uh, you know, after 2015, when you finished second, uh, what was it like when you were on stage the final day and they called the weight, you know, and they were like, here's your champion. 
Well, I tell you what, uh, you know, I can't describe how it felt. You know, it was such a relief. You know, when I really realized that I won it was about 20 minutes to go in the tournament day when I when I got that last quality fish, you know, a four-pounder in the boat. And, mm-hmm. and right then, uh, you know, all those past demons and things where I'd made bad decisions or just missed out or fishy lost, I mean, I, it like everything just left my body. I mean, it was unbelievable, you know. I felt like I could just flap my arms and start flying, you know. It, it was really <laughs> a, it was really just one of those feelings It's hard to describe. Well, and you mentioned, um, you know, in in the interviews and stuff uh, that we had on the website that coming into the tournament, or really when it started, you know, you never would have thought you were around uh, the fish that would have won you the tournament, right? Oh, no, no doubt about that. I had a, I had an absolute terrible pre-practice, and then uh, I did see just a little glimmer of light the only practice day we had, and I didn't set the hook on much, but I did get uh, like seven bites and I, I, I took three of them and I saw some potential, you know, and so mm-hmm. it kind of gave me a little ray of hope, but, but, uh, no, after, after my pre-practice and everything, uh, you know, I, I would have been the first to say that there's no way, uh, you know, I would be standing there with that trophy. The, the program you ended up running, uh, give us a little bit of insight about, you know, what it is you did. Uh, but also was it the same, um, was it some? Were there some similarities between what you found in pre-practice and what you did actually in the tournament, or did you continue to just learn and evolve and practice as the tournament went on? Well, you know, when we were out there for a pre-practice, the river was a couple of feet higher. It was really uh, had a lot more current in it. We'd had a lot of rain every day, and the fish were absolutely shallow. What few we caught, uh, you know, were in the bushes and running around the buckbrush, and, and really the place. Uh, you know, Barkley Lake looks so fishy everywhere you went, it but it was really hard to catch them. And so, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the river started falling. We got some straight weather. And some of those places that I found in pre-practice that were out on the, the hard spots out on the main river and things like that, uh, that I didn't catch a single fish on, I really just felt like uh, that those fish were going to be filtering to those now that the conditions had changed. And, uh, you know, 10 years ago, I probably would not have even attempted that. But I, I guess I've matured enough fishing over the years that mm-hmm. I kind of felt like, uh, you know, I ought to listen to my gut. And, and that's probably the best, you know, decision I made just because uh, a lot of people uh, really were, were married to that shallow bite, especially from pre-practice. Several guys had really good pre-practices. And so it really kind of helped me uh, uh, just focus more on, on things out there that other guys was overlooking. And, and that's probably what made the difference. Okay. Um, I guess bait-wise, you kind of stuck with, um, uh, I think, a crankbait, a mag trick worm, a brush hog. Was that kind of the three main deals for you? Well, you know, the first day, I, I never even thought about that magnum trick worm. I, uh, I, thought, I called everything either on like a football jig, a wobble head, or a brush hog uh, anytime I'd fish any structure. And uh, I picked up that little crankbait with just a little bit of time left in the day, maybe an hour. And we had just a little bit of wind, wasn't much. And I caught that old big smallmouth. And so, uh, you know, it was pretty fortunate to get that bite and everything uh, and kind of key me in on, on uh, you know, what could happen if I throw that little crankbait. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I burned a lot of time the next day doing that, fished a lot more of those hard spots and did the wobble head. And I, I did catch, you know, a couple of fish doing that. And the brush hog definitely bailed me out. I had two fish out of the same, that magic tree, you know, the, the, the second day that really bailed me out. But my, my, uh, my co-owner kind of keyed me in on that magnum trick worm. He was just throwing a little bitty worm on a shaky head on a spinning rod. And, uh, he caught a couple of quality keepers behind me, uh, 
uh, off of that bluff. And so the uh, the last day, you know, I was trying to find something to maybe fish that bluff with that I felt more comfortable. I didn't feel like I could bend the event on a on a four inch worm on a shaky head. So I went to that Magnum trick worm on a stand up football head. Uh, with an oversized gamakatsu hook in it. And it just really worked out great to be able to use that heavy tackle. You know, I used 20-pound uh, Mike McClellan uh, FC4 all uh, fluorocarbon, you know, and I was not uh, I was not being light on him. You know, I throwed it on a 7.6 Falcon uh, flipping stick, you know, and I, I was it was it was a finessier technique, but it was definitely not finesse gear. So, uh, uh, you know, it really just worked out that that last day, uh, I got that big quality bite, you know, almost six pounds right off the bat that morning on my first pass, and uh, it kind of it kind of gave me the the drive to keep trying to fish hard and, and keep my head down. You know, I had a four pound lead, and, mm-hmm. and that made me, you know, that made him gonna have to catch ten pounds right out of the gate, and and it just it just worked out to where every time I went down that bluff, uh, I, I could catch one. I would I would go multiple passes, but I'd only catch them on the first pass. So I would leave and go run around, try a lot of different things. Go throw my brush hog, go throw the wobble head, fish a lot of hard spots and the different things down the main river. And just every time I come back to that bluff, one was kind of waiting on me. You know, the boat traffic was all leaving Little River and they were swinging right up against that bluff within about 50 yards of it. And they were absolutely making the waves and everything crazy. <laughs> and I think it just got everything up there kind of feeding and stirring and, and sure. one of the quality fish leaving the river, filtering out to the main river, would stop and feed for a little bit. And I was just fortunate enough in my timing to to be able to key in on that and actually catch them. Well, I got to say, I think it's, um, it, you know, when you look at your career, because uh, you've fished a ton of events with FLW, you have a whole pile of top 10 finishes. But for this tournament to become the first one you win, um, you know, you hear guys say things like, when it's their time, it's their time, and everything kind of falls together. But this, like, to me, it seemed like, you know, especially the year before finishing second, and then how everything played out, um, you know, this time around on Barkley, uh, it really did seem like it was just kind of like, you know, Jeremy Lawyer's time for a win. Well, there's no doubt about that. You know, I think a couple of things really, uh, you know, went into my favor. For one, uh, you know, watching Curtis Richardson fish all, all the tour events, fish the Cup last year and do everything, uh, you know, it kept me awake at night. I mean, it was a... It was. It works on a person more than you think when you when you got a dream right there in front of you and you watch it disappear. And you know nothing against Curtis. He wanted fair and square, did a fine job. And so, but I think he motivated me to want it more than any tournament I've ever wanted. You know, when I watched it disappear in the sunset last year, I thought I'd never have a chance again. And, and you know, like I say, he just it, that that situation that I was in really motivated me to to want it. And then when I got the lead, uh, the first day. You know, uh, I've I've led tournaments before and stuff like that, but I I never had this feeling inside of me that I did not want to give up that lead. That lead was mine, and I wanted it, and, <laughs> and it just really it just really drove me. But uh, the, the the second thing was the fact that uh, you know it was on Barkley Lake in kind of unfamiliar territory for a lot of tournament anglers. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of guys fish northern Barkley, and I was kind of disappointed. Uh, about the event when I found out that, that half of Barkley Lake had been taken away and given to the tour guys, and we were going to be, uh, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, regulated to the south end of Barkley. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that played in my advantage a little bit just because there wasn't a lot of outside help to get. You know, every fisherman was kind of on their own because uh, a lot of guys just never spend any time down there because Kentucky Lake shadows Barkley so bad. Oh, right. Everybody, everybody spends so much time over there. So I think a lot of guys that did well in this tournament, uh, had to kind of 
fish by their their you know gut feeling and, and natural ability and I, and I think that just kind of helped me a little bit not to get focused in on just waypoints or just things that uh, you know either I'd seen or fished in the past and, and never been there before you know I just think that all kind of played into the whole part of, of uh, being able to win it but there's no doubt I definitely had you know some luck going my way the good Lord was looking out because I mean I never I never dreamed i'd catch a five pounder every day right. you know and guys were really struggling to catch three pounders and for some reason you know i was catching fours and fives and it just you know it's just one of those like you said just went your time i guess that's a that's a fact well uh just for the people listening that may not know you fished uh you fished four all americans um counting the one you won uh but yes. man your track record in them has been fantastic the first one you fished was in 2006 i think that was on the connecticut river Yes, I yes. think uh, you finished 18th. Uh, yes. Then in 2013, it was on Nickajack. You finished seventh. 15, second place on Kentucky Lake, and here we go, first place on Barkley. Um, I mean, just in the scope of things, um, it, you you fish a ton of BFLs. You know, you do well in a lot of the BFLs, but when you get into the All American situation, do you feel like do you thrive in those kind of higher competition tournaments? Well, there's there's no doubt that you put in all the effort you can in any tournament, but, but there's no doubt you put in that little bit extra when it is something on your line like that, you know. And, and uh, it, it takes, you know, like, a, for instance, a working man to get so many things lined up just to make the All-American, you know. So you just want to try and, you know, I feel like I try to make the best situation as I can because I only got one shot at it, you know. And so uh, there's there's no doubt I, I definitely try harder, but, you know, uh, I'm just like I said, fortunate to kind of get a few things to go my way. You know, even at Nickajack, you know, I had a I had a big bite every day. You know, and uh, uh, that was the difference between making that cut out there and not making the cut. So mm-hmm. you know, it was uh, it was just just uh, something maybe about that Tennessee River that really shines on me a little bit too. <laughs> you know, I've got I've learned to have a passion for it out there, and I think it likes me as well. So uh, you know, some of that kind of goes hand in hand. Well, uh, lucky for you, the Forcewood Cup happens to be on uh, the Tennessee River. You get uh, Wheeler Lake coming up, and, man, it's a little over a month now. Uh, have you started thinking about the cup at all? Oh, there's no doubt, you know. Uh, some of this has died down around home, you know, as far as the, the All-American hype. And so, uh, you know, I'm definitely focused. I've, I've done some little bit of research and looked on the Internet. I'm going to go down there and spend a few days uh, before it goes off limits and just, just see what the lake's like. You know, uh, uh, I, I'm more excited about being able to fish, uh, you know, Wheeler than, than possibly, you know, uh, a, a place with tide or blueback herring lake or something that I'm not <laughs> right. familiar with. So uh, I'm definitely excited the fact that it's going to be on a lake like that. And, and uh, you know, one other thing to where it's not a lake to where you have to catch 30 pounds a day like Falcon to hang with everybody. Right. You know, if a guy can get lucky and get that big bite and kind of keep things going, you know, and, and catch that 14 to 16 pounds, you know, he'd, he'd be right there in the mix of things. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to it, no doubt about that. Well, I think the interesting thing about this cup on Wheeler is, um, like you're kind of hinting at, in, in years past there's been, we've been on some lakes that, you know, are kind of one-sided in what you can do or what's available. Uh, but this time around on Wheeler, really, like, I mean, you could go, guys could fish a brush pile if they want. They can fish some of that. You know, there's not a lot of the main river kind of ledge stuff like there is on, you know, Kentucky or Pickwick. Uh, but you can go out and do that. And you can fish shallow. Like, it really, the whole lake is going to be in play. And, uh, you know, for a guy like yourself, what area – are you going to try to sample all that? Do you feel like um, – like, what suits your style better? 
Well, uh, you know, uh, I feel like I'm somewhat versatile, you know, as far as if I want to go fish shallow cover, if that's what the fish, you know, seem to be doing, or if I want to go out there and fish that main river ledge, you know, and, and try and hunt around on some brush piles out deeper. You know, we fish that way a lot at home on like Grand Lake or the Cherokees. You know, there's a lot of that mm-hmm. kind of structure out there on it too. And, uh, you know, I know there's some docks down there. We put up a lot of docks at Lake of the Ozarks. So I think, it, you know, there's going to be several styles that, depending on what the fish want to do, that I, I would feel comfortable with doing. The one thing that, you know, with, with me that I'm not familiar with is going to be the below the dam, uh, you know, at the upper end and everything. Sure. Uh, I think that's definitely going to come into play. I, I do not do well fishing with 27 boats around, you know, in a little little pile. Uh, I don't want to sit there and, and watch, uh, you know, Greg Bohannon or Mark Rose drag them 25 right. yards from me, you know. And So I, I probably will investigate some of that just in case for some reason I was boat one or six or something. And, you know, because I guarantee it's going to come into play. Mm-hmm. But if, but if uh, you know, I would really like to just find a pattern well away from that and let everybody else kind of kind of fight over it. I'm not saying it won't be the place that the tournament's won, but it just it's probably the one thing that's the wild card that I'm afraid if I get wrapped up in, I might uh, get caught and, and sucked down in the barrel. So I'm okay. definitely going to try and stay away from that. Okay. Um, kind of along the lines of talking about the cup, uh, do you um, – I guess, I mean, your career, you've had a fantastic career. Are there – is there an ultimate goal of, you know, trying to do the fishing thing – as a living? Well, there's there's no doubt. You know, I've dreamed about that as long as anybody that's in this sport that's uh, sitting there on the outside looking in. And, uh, you know, I've always wanted to fish the cup. You know, that was the one thing. You know, that's the biggest tournament in the world, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, I'm going to get to do that, and, and I'm still, I don't know, in shock and all that that's actually going to happen to me. So uh, I am going to go fish the tour next year. I hope that uh, I can definitely get some backing from some of my sponsors and, and uh be able to do it for multiple years and uh, and grow with the sport and try to uh, to definitely uh, hang in there and compete at that level for for as long as it'll allow me. Uh, you know, I'm not going to quit my job. My employers, you know, have been very good to me and they've just said, you know, do what you need to do. So uh, you know, there's uh, there's only six or seven weeks a year that a guy's actually gone for the event. Sure. So there's a lot of a lot of time left to to work and, and everything. But uh, uh, there's there's no doubt that yes, I would love to see this grow into something. You know. Uh, you know, Cabela's is one of my, my best sponsors. You know, I mean, I've got some great ones, Yamaha and Ranger, and there's just a list of them. But, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have Cabela's around. And, you know, Clark Wendell, and I use him as an example because he won this exact same event, you know, mm-hmm. back in the day. And, it, and it's really propelled him out there and, and grown with Cabela's and made a great team. And so I'm really hoping that that's something that uh, me, and, me and Cabela's can reach, uh, you know, an agreement on and hopefully uh, be something that grows into to the same situation. Man, I'd uh, I know I'd love to see you, you know, out on tour for several years. I think uh, you've kind of established the fact that, you know, you can hang with guys of that caliber, no doubt. Uh, before I let you go, get back to work here, Jeremy. Uh, is there anywhere that uh, the people listening to this can follow you throughout the rest of your fishing season this year, or uh, you know, during the Cup especially on social media well, or can- anything like that? They can definitely go to my Facebook page. I've got a professional athlete page. It's going to be up and running here just directly any day. And, uh, you know, I'll post it on my, on my, uh, just my personal, uh, Facebook page until that's up and going. So, uh, so anything that's on there, you know, definitely be, uh, the, the latest that's going on. Well, right on, Jeremy. I, uh, like I said, I really appreciate you taking time out of your, out of your work day to chat with us. And, oh, that's uh, no problem. I really appreciate you guys asking. Man, good luck. 
looking around down on Wheeler, and we'll see you in a little over a month, man. That's awesome. All right, I'll see you boys there. Take care. All right, so, Kyle, I guess the first thing on the list here, Kentucky Lake. Um, we've been back-to-back-to-back uh, to back to back weeks for uh, FLW action. Uh, Kentucky Lake was a tour event. It was pretty much as expected, alleged deal. Um, mm-hmm. And the guy who not very many pundits picked simply because he'd had a terrible year, but nonetheless still did awesome, was definitely uh, priced to do awesome. He did awesome. Oh, yeah. Jason Lambert caught 97 pounds, two ounces, caught like 29 pounds on the final day. Uh, it was real close between him and Brandon Hunter going into the last day, and then Lambert just turned on the heat. Yeah, uh, he did. It got pretty epic. And, dude, I don't think everyone caught him quite as well as we thought they would at Kentucky Lake, like, throughout the field. But, man, the top end, uh, you know, three guys averaged 20-plus a day. Uh, Jamie Rampey just – Jamie Rampey and Scott Canterbury both, like, crushed him on the final day. Yeah, they did. Uh, on, like, two totally different ways to catch him. Andy Morgan made the top ten. Brad Knight finally got off the schneid. Had a really good tournament. Uh, I mean, Brian Thrift, I think, maybe made his first Tennessee River top 10. Except, well, he made made top 10 at Chickamauga last year. But I feel like he usually is like a top 20, top 30 guy at the Tennessee River. Didn't even threaten to win. Especially Pickwick, Kentucky. Yeah. But he Mm -hmm. caught him this time, which is always good to see. Uh, So, I don't know. What What were some of your primary takeaways from that one? Um... Yeah, I guess, um, like I said before we started film recording this thing, uh, I wasn't too blown away by anything that happened at Kentucky Lake other than the fact um, I thought it was kind of cool that instead of like, I feel like in the last few years we've become accustomed to, to hearing about like mega schools and, you know, there's like 40 boats fishing these like 500 fish schools out on, you know, some main river ledge. And just kind of grinding away at it. And there's, you know, you can make a cast any direction and you're probably going to catch one. This was kind of cool because the guys that made the top 10, uh, and even some of the guys in the top 20, were, they were really like hunting almost individual fish at times. Like idle over a stretch that may have had a big school on it. But the lake was, you know, it wasn't quite full on ledge fishing yet. Like a lot of the fish were still making their way out to some of those, their normal summertime haunts. And, like, Lambert especially would idle, you know, 100, 200 yards off of a school that, you know, several boats had found, but he'd find three fish, you know, sitting off to, like, a rock or whatever it was off to the side and make a couple casts out and catch them. Terry Bolton was kind of doing the same thing. Uh, Mark Rose was kind of doing that. Brandon Hunter. So it was kind of cool to see guys running around a lot more but looking for fewer fish just better size i thought that was kind of a cool thing to watch go and, down and kind of more easily catchable fish like we talked yeah. about we talked previously about how this might be the tournament where finesse really took off and it didn't take off uh mm. i mean it, finesse has, it played a big role probably a lot of people caught fish on drop shots but it really jamie rampy caught him on a drop shot but no one else really came close to right. winning or catching most of their fish on a drop shot which mm-hmm. Or some other real finesse bait, like a wacky worm with a nail or something like that. It was really right. about guys just moving away from pressured fish to finding less pressured fish that they could catch yeah. on traditional ledge baits. Uh, but 
without having to finesse them. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, because um, they were willing to eat. You know, a lot of these fish were freshly off the spawn. Lambert, on the final day especially, a lot of, like, all the big ones he caught, their tails were still bloody. Um, I mean, it wasn't that long ago they'd been up spawning. So these fish were looking to eat, and when they when the guys threw a big spoon or a swim bait or something by them, they weren't opposed to eating it. You just had to find those ones that didn't see, you know, 500 other swim baits earlier in the day or the day before or something like that. Yeah, or the uh, the good old jerky jay. Jerky J. It works, apparently. Yeah. You got any jerky J's? Uh, I've got like three, because they come in a pack of three. Um, I got to throw them more, I guess. But, you know, I I don't really catch enough ledge fish to, for it to make a difference anyhow. I'm terrible <laughs> at that. I'm getting better, but <laughs> the stupid thing is, I say stupid. The thing is, so we have this ledge tournament. I went out and practiced ahead of time with Jeff Sprague. Big yep. article on FLWFishing.com that you should read. We'll put the link to it in the podcast uh, article up on the up on the site. It's pretty um, good. It's pretty long, um, so buckle in. Was longer, though. Did chop it down quite a bit. Um, <laughs> but anyhow, so I went out and practiced with him. We idled some stuff that I had been idling, like, the week before. The weekend before practice started. And I was out fishing around, and there were places I marked one, two fish. Mark no fish. All of a sudden, we mark run over him. There's like 30 bass down there. I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. So, like, <laughs> we basically hit it. Honestly, if we'd hit it a week later, it might even have been better. But it was right. We hit it real good. Mm-hmm. And then it was real good the week after. And it's real good right now. And uh, I was at the Potomac and then Champlain. And now I'm gonna be up here. And not that I'm gonna complaining about up here, but kind of two years in a row. The first year, when it was real good, I didn't know what I was doing. This year, mm-hmm. I know a little bit more what I was, I'm doing. I'm just not going to be there to see if I actually know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. Final <laughs> dial some things in. So my ledge fishing learning curve is being foiled pretty consistently. Right, right. Uh, but you know what? It, it, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyhow, I feel like that probably covers Kentucky Lake pretty well. I think uh, so. Brandon Hunter and Jason Lambert, both of them obviously had great tournaments. They were the win is big for Lambert. Uh, Hunter was came so close on his home lake, hometown boy. Uh, but neither of them were really in contention for the Forestwood Cup. It, and that's kind of that can be how the end of the year plays out sometimes, where guys, mm-hmm. you know, they can go big a little bit more because they don't have to worry about. Uh, about making a cup. And, of yeah. course, Andy Morgan got another top ten. Jeff Sprague did pretty bad, which uh, dramatically impacted the Angler of the Year race. Yes. As we will as we will get to. Uh, shall we keep going chronologically here and uh, talk a little Potomac? Yeah, let's go to the next tournament. All righty. So, uh, next tournament, the Costa FLW Series Northern Division opener on the Potomac. Uh, Casey Smith, podcast listener. Woo-hoo. Uh, yeah, baby. Very disappointed about our lack of podcasts recently, but we've been over that. Uh, Casey Smith <laughs> uh, picked up the win. Um, we almost had a full field, which is really cool to get such a big field in the Northern Division. Uh, Heck yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if we have an even bigger field at Thousand Islands because people just love fishing there. And it's going to be them. on fire. Of course, you're going to be fishing for third or maybe fourth, realistically. You're probably fishing <laughs> for fourth. 
because you got Johnston, Johnston, uh, Babazumi, and yep. then probably someone else is mm-hmm. maybe my guess. But anyhow, you should still go fish. It'll be fun. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. White. Don't let that discourage you. Dude, you're going to catch hog smallmouth all the time, right? It's going to be yeah. epic. Uh, but anyhow, Casey Smith uh, caught him real good there. Um, the Potomac really showed out, too. I mean, from a numbers of fish standpoint, number of two and three quarter to three pound fish, it def- the grass looks beautiful. It's definitely in a lot better shape than it was last year when so many guys were grousing about it being bad. Yeah. Um, uh, Ryan Ingalls says that's because the flood, they never had a, they never had a spring flood this year, which I guess has a tendency to sort of tear up the grass and be bad. This year mm. was sort of stayed normal, I guess. We'll see. Uh, but anyhow, Casey Smith won. Charlie Maycheck, uh, founder of the Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech bass fishing team, uh, former, uh, collegiate bass champion. Um, pretty awesome dude. Uh, got second. Um, Ron Nelson got third. Aaron Hastings, he's from around there, got fourth. Brian Schmidt was in second going into the final day. Only caught 12 pounds, 10 ounces. Lost two big ones on the final day. Dropped oh, down to He's fifth. so terrible. I know. He can't <laughs> even win on the Potomac for like the eighth time. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's just it's he, frustrating. He, he, you get him around some grass, he catches them. Yeah, yeah, he does. Um, but it was a... Uh, it was a cool tournament. Um, I really enjoyed it just from a coverage standpoint. I was very sick during part of it, which was a disaster. But Good. the non-sick part was fun because it's a cool river. I like that place a lot. <laughs> it's a little bit of anno- annoying to do a to run a tournament there on the Maryland side because you have to drive like half an hour to get from the ramp to where you stay and where anything uh, is. You know what I mean? Which you saw that last year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but... Besides that, it's pretty cool. I mean, it's a fun river. I like it. Uh, didn't run over anything big time. Um, I, I'd i go back there in a heartbeat. Uh, but it was fun. Casey Smith was fishing a Kitek. Uh, mostly a Kitek, some, sometimes a chatterbait, uh, sometimes, you know, I think a swim jig, a little bit of other stuff. But mostly a Kitek, uh, rigged, weedless, um, in grass at sort of the mouth of Aquia. It's like a mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty much a community hole, but he dialed it in a little bit more than I think guys typically do. And he caught him. He had him figured out. Charlie Maycheck actually was fishing there as well. Uh, but he was, during the tournament, he was fishing there at a different time than Smith was. And oh. Charlie kind of almost had it timed better because like every day he kind of could run in there and fish. I think a little bit different area than Smith was, but around there and catch a big fish. And Smith, the first day he struggled and kind of tried to run tides. The second day he stayed there, caught 20 pounds. And the third day he stayed there all day and caught 16, eight and almost. And, uh, you know, he did well, but he caught all in the morning, which is not when he expected to catch them. So I guess the story, the, you know, moral of the story is, Tides are very tricky and fickle. Yes. Um, but it was a cool tournament. Do you have any thoughts, impressions, anything like that? Uh, no. I thought it was a cool tournament. I thought it was a pretty solid top ten, too. I was very impressed with the uh, the names in there. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, Chris Baumgartner always catches them. 
Joe yeah. Wood. Joe Wood. Bill Chapman qualified for the Forest Wood Cup. He was in the mm-hmm. league after the first day. Um, Jeff Koble, uh he's a hammer. Uh, been out of the been out of the fishing us for a little while, but back in it, and mm-hmm. I like it. Uh, he caught him on a popper on the first day, and pretty good on the second day on it. But that pattern uh, tailed off pretty fast. Yeah, I like that. Bill Rico. Yeah. Uh, which that Rico is one tournament on the Potomac before, so it's a pretty it's a it's a deal down there. I guess. Not sure why, but they'll eat it. So you got to throw. Yeah. It. Still have now covered two tournaments on the Potomac yet to see a snakehead caught. Really? Yep. David Brown was like, "Oh yeah, I saw like eight snakehead get caught today." I'm like, "Well, still haven't seen one." <laughs> I don't know what the deal is, man. I'm bad luck when it comes to seeing snakehead get caught. Cause I want to see one ca- somebody catch one because apparently they put up a fight and all that jazz, but it hasn't happened for me. Oh well. Yeah, it'll happen eventually. Yeah, you'll get there. All right, dude. You ready to talk some Champlain? Because, dude, this was a barn burner. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, why don't you... So you covered Scott Martin for like half the time. You saw some of his most up-and-downy type days. Yeah. Dude picked up the win. Why don't you get into that and sort of how this thing went down? Well, so, yeah, I guess, um, you know, Scott on day one cracked 22-5, I think. 22-5. So, pretty solid. Dudley was up there, too, in in the standings, who, you know, like, right out the gate, you're like, oh, man, here's two dudes that have won here before. Like, this is pretty much game over. And the thing about Scott is when Scott... granted, Chris Johnston was in second with 21-2. So, it was like, holy smokes, look out for Chris Johnston. True. But I still feel like, like, Scott Martin's the kind of guy that, when he takes the lead, he usually doesn't let it slip. Yeah. Like, Newell mentioned that. Uh, I think in one of the stories or something. Um, but anyway, it was kind of like a... He's oh, not man, the guy you want to be chasing. Right. But then you get day three. Um, he had some mechanical issues, and he had to swap boats early, which he didn't have a fish in the boat, so he didn't have to worry about throwing anything back. So he made the run, ran up to Mystikoi, ran all the way back down to takeoff, and the, the boat he swapped out in, got it back, checked in, and then he was like, you know what? I'm not going to go up to Mystikoi. Because he fished there for probably 45 minutes and caught like three dinks. And it, he, you could kind of tell like it just it wasn't happening. There was no wind. Um, it just wasn't there. And he took advantage. And I think this is probably why he won. He took advantage of the smallmouth he'd found the day before that were on beds. That he felt like he could get 15, 16 pounds, maybe a little more. Yeah. And one, so... One cool thing about those smallmouth. So day two, he mm-hmm. left his largemouth, went and yes. fished for smallmouth, actually culled several of them, caught his two big, I think caught two or three big smallmouth. Yeah. Two of them that he had marked, one that he didn't have marked that he found. While he was there, yep. found like three more big ones. Right. Like he right. kind of, he had found those fish just the day before, put waypoints in, was like, already got them big, not going to need them because he weighed 20 pounds again on day two. Not going to need them, but might need them later. And boy, do they come in handy. Oh, yeah. And I thought that was the coolest thing about, uh, like, why Scott's so good at winning tournaments. I think his fish management is pretty top-notch. So he went, because he literally, like, most of the weight he weighed in on day three, he caught each of those smallmouth, like, 
combined to get his limit for like 15 pounds um, right out the gate, like basically the first five he caught together, like fishing time, maybe four and a half minutes. That's the thing on those smallmouth. All you have to do is find them. If you know where they are, you throw something at them. You can can usually give them the bite like first, second cast on a bet. Yeah. Yeah. And the only, it would have, it would have been slightly shorter, but on one of, on the very first fish he was going after, he flipped in and caught a rock bass and then flipped back in, caught the smallmouth. So the rock bass beat the smallmouth to it, which also sometimes a problem. Yeah. Rock bass continue to be the worst fish. (laughs) Uh, but anyway, on day two, um, Scott weighed in like 16-something. I don't have the numbers in front of me. Yeah, I'm just kind of going so off of. It was day three. He weighed 16.5. Er, yeah, it was three. actually the eighth the biggest limit of the day. So he had a lot of people gain some ground on him Yes. on that day, which kind of made it look like going into the final day, there was, depending on how things shook out, there was a chance that um, it didn't happen for him. Right. And the, the cool thing about day three was we saw most of the guys fishing for smallmouth, like uh, Chris Johnston and Felix and Cody and a lot of those other guys. The smallmouth thing was starting to fizzle because you'll have that when you have four days of sight fishing. You know, you just start running out of fish. But the Ticonderoga deal, the south end of the lake, which we didn't hear much about the first two days. It was kind of quiet. Well, only about 20 boats went down on the first day. Fewer on the second day. Ticonderoga has been off this year. It was really still a shock to me that that few, uh, that that small number of anglers went down. I fully expected to see the first day at least like forty boats, even though it was bad because right. there's such a rich history down there, mm-hmm. and there were going to be guys who, you know, they caught a little bit and they were like, you know what, I'm going to go. I, if I want to win this tournament, that's where I need to be. And it looked to me as though not many people made that decision. Right. Hey, but I manager, were, but go on. Oh, uh, we're just talking. Jason Manager, Brian Schmidt, one of the, like basically the two surviving guys from Ty, started getting on him day three. Yeah, started catching him, and which led into a final day. I mean, they uh, had the biggest and second biggest bag on day three. Yeah, Manager had nineteen six. Schmidt had seventeen eleven. Uh, and going in the final day, I was thinking either one of those two was probably going to win it because. If Ty was starting to fire and these guys were starting to get dialed in, like your best chance for uh, another 20-plus pound bag is down there. Yep. Like everything else on the north end kind of been tapped out. Scott, his largemouth thing was starting to fizzle a little bit. Uh, the smallmouth thing was starting to fizzle. Plus it was blowing on the final day. So, you know, sight fish and smallmouth, not the easiest in, you know, three-footers. He was but, blowing uh, big time on the final day. Yeah, it actually it got real bad for a while, and then it kind of tapered off, which was sort of nice. Uh, but anyway, in terms of Scott on the final day, Scott went, uh, caught a s- couple smallmouths, or he caught one off a of bed right away, um, like a three-pounder, and then he ran, basically kind of fished his way up to Missicoy. So he made a few stops, kind of, you know, like along some bridges and stuff, um, caught a couple keeper smallmouths. He had one place... You know, right south of the bridge before you actually like go into Missicoy. Yep. Uh, on the left side, there's a point um, that he was saying there. He'd seen a few big smallmouth chase its topwater in practice, and he actually, despite the like four footers that were rolling into this thing, and it was only like eight feet deep, he had one chase his swim bait back to the boat, like a four and a half pounder. 
So he stuck around there for a little while. Then he went up, kind of committed to largemouth for the majority of the rest of the day and kind of chipped away, caught a three-pounder here, caught a two-and-three-quarter here, uh, whether it was off his rock thing or in some of those little shoots uh, kind of at the mouth of the river, you know, those little kind of off channels that branch out. Um, he was kind of flipping wood and stuff in there. And then he started running back down the lake a little early and culled up again with the smallmouth um, off another one of those kind of community stops and weighed in what he did. Another, what was it, 16-something? Yeah, I was, and I mean, it was just enough. He won by a pound. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's a close derby. But and meanwhile, while I'm following Scott around, you're down south watching Schmidt, and I guess, did you watch Manager 2 a little bit? I, I didn't watch Manager very much. I can tell you exactly what he was doing, though. <laughs> um, yeah, walk uh, us through it. So, Manager... He did something that no one ever does. There's a series of pilings um, just south of the fort on the New York side, down by Ticonderoga. And they're old industrial-type things. They stick out of the water when the water level's very low. But if the water level's at all high, they're really just a hazard for boats um, because they're not marked or anything, but they're there. Mm -hmm. And they've got grass around them and, like, a little bit of rock and stuff, and Real gnarly, a lot of zebra mussels and things on them. Tough to fish. Uh, but anyhow, pretty much everybody in the world, maybe not everybody in the world, but a lot of people know about them. And they go and they fish them. Now everyone in the world knows about them because everyone in the world listens to this podcast. Right. Um, they, uh, they, they go on in and they slide in and they fish um, and they fish the pilings. And then they leave. And they catch maybe a three-pounder, four-pounder, you know. And it's like, all right, let's get going to the next spot, fish some grass. Jason Minger camped on those pilings. And he picked them apart. And picked them apart and picked them apart and ground on them and ground on them. And caught basically all his fish on them. Until they were all gone, he couldn't catch no more. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, I mean, man, it's kind of incredible that he did that and that, not, that there were enough fish there. And if the grass bite had been good down at Thai probably you see him finish in like 15th place and you see a bunch of guys above him catch him on the grass, but it wasn't good. Mm -hmm. And he kind of figured out the one thing to do and just sat there and he was throwing like a little light Texas rig or a wacky rig with a nail weight. Even when he flipped a creature bait, he said he would flip the lightest thing he could flip like an eight ounce weight, 16 yeah. ounce weight. He was super light, super finessing these fish, probably because a million people run in there, flip a big, flip a big jig down there and uh then leave he right. was you know just picking them apart and catching bass and then catching hogs yeah big time and then schmidt who just cratered on the final day you know yeah. he went 17 7 21 5 17 11 and then didn't even catch 12 pounds on the last day he was fishing pretty much all grass. He had one air, he had one little rocky outcropping. Well, he had two little rocky outcroppings. Uh, one where he lost a pretty big looking one on the final day. And I think he'd caught a few other fish on throughout the tournament. And then one where he caught a five pounder on, on day three and where he actually caught most of his weight on the final day. He really should have gone there earlier because if he had gone I don't, I don't know for sure, but if he spent 
an hour and a half instead of the last like 40 minutes that he had mm-hmm. uh, picking apart this rock on the final day where he caught the five pounder on the last cast of the day, the day before, if he'd gone there and just kind of camped on it and picked it up, really picked it and worked this little slowly and he might've been able to catch more fish because there were numbers of fish there and he caught a couple three pounders there. Um, but anyhow, so he, he had two rocky type spots and then he had a couple of different spots in the weed lines. One where he said he could pretty much pull in at will and catch 15, 16 pounds. Didn't get a bite there on the final day. Mm. Uh, and you know, sort of all that, all, all, all of the, his grass stuff on the final day basically didn't produce. And I don't know why it didn't. I mean, I've got no idea why the fish would go from being there three days in a row and you get there on the last day and you basically fail to catch fish. Yeah. I mean, you caught a couple of fish, but not many. It doesn't make Although, sense. Go ahead, sir. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, despite his rough final day, I guess if you think about it, in a week span, Schmidt made two top tens and won like almost $27,000 in a week. So, I mean, not a terrible, you know, little stretch of fishing there for the guy. Oh, yeah. Not a bad couple of weeks. I'm sure he's exhausted. Oh, uh, man. I couldn't imagine. He fished Terminal in Potomac. He drive up. He was driving up with a buddy, so he got to sleep on the way up from the final day on the Potomac to practice. Then you pull three practice days, which are extremely long because it doesn't get dark until like 1030. Well, maybe <laughs> right. not quite that, but you know, it doesn't get dark for a long time. So you can fish all day long if you want. Uh, so it definitely was interesting, but it, man, I mean, it was a good couple weeks for him. He made the Forestwood cup. That's big. Uh, so it's gonna, I'm sure he's satisfied. He's such a fun guy to watch fish. He's so relaxed, so chill. Always like, uh, always enjoy spending time with him. He could like narrate a story tape; it'd be great. Oh yeah, I'd love that. <laughs> um, but uh, Brian Schmidt's the man. Kind of almost did it, and then stubbed his toe big time. Um, that's okay. Yeah, going just going down the list while we're here. Uh, Shin, Shinichi Fukai, Shin uh, got third. Dudley crushed fourth. him on the final day. Oh yeah, hammer nineteen ten. Yeah, hogs. Um. Shin probably could have won the tournament if he fished for largemouth more on the first and the second day. Because days three and four, especially on day four, he really kind of committed to the largemouth, from what I understand. And mm-hmm. he had some he had some good largemouth stuff, and he didn't quite know how good it was. And mm-hmm. if he'd known how good it was, or he'd just maybe gotten a little luckier or something, he could have won it. He, the, I think the fish were there for him to contend. And yeah. Made it interesting, but not quite interesting enough. But man, imagine if he just caught like 24 pounds on the last day. How epic that would have been. Oh, man. Even if he would have caught like 19 on day one, it would have been game over. Yeah. Then Chris Johnston finished fifth. Uh, won Rookie of the Year by like 400 miles. Oh, uh, D- Dudley was fourth, by the way. Yeah. Uh, Chris Johnston finished fifth. Rookie of the Year by like 100 miles. Also second in the AOI race. Um in thanks in large part to doing so awesome at this one. Yes. Um, then Austin Felix sixth went all smallmouth. Finally got a rookie of top ten. He's had two good tournaments in a row. Yep. Uh, Brian Schmidt, Cody Meyer eighth, um, Wesley Strader ninth, Stetson Blaylock tenth, and uh, then 
uh, working our way down. Andy Morgan in 13th, which was just enough. Well, actually quite a bit enough, but which <laughs> uh, got him his third Angler of the Year title in four years. Yeah. So big time props to the GOAT, Andy Morgan. Keep Definitely. Uh, let's see. Calling of the Year, Brian New. Not really a shock. Um, hopefully, possibly, now he's finally going to start fishing more from the front of the boat. Uh, he's had, you know, he had a really good tournament at Wheeler uh, this spring. And it, yep. it might be, it might next year might be the time. You might see him, might see him ditching the uh, co-angler stuff and moving on up, which I would like to see very much. Oh, yeah. Plus, we'll get to see him at the uh, Invitational on Lake Norman, fishing oh, yeah. as a as a boater, as a pro. So yep, and you gotta figure kind of you gotta figure he'll be a contender at that one, or at least a pre tournament semi favorite. Yeah, he told me that um, basically, like Shane LeHue and Brian Thrift are gonna win it. Yes, I think the favorites go Thrift, LeHue, Airy maybe someone else than new somewhere in there. And yeah. I get that new, he says he doesn't spend as much time on Norman as these other guys. And he doesn't, but you don't think he's going to go spend a lot of time on Norman. You don't think he knows a lot of guys who spend a lot of time. On yeah. Norman? Yeah. That's he'll, he'll do the work. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's going to be, it'll be cool to see how he does in that one. But yeah, that's the, that's gonna, probably going to be the little huge flash thrift show, which is going to be a pretty fun show. Let's be honest. Oh yeah. I'm all about that. It'll be like, how short can you be and win tournaments? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's going to be epic. Any other uh, season-ending or Champlain-related thoughts? Um, I think uh, I do just want to say that I feel pretty good about my Kurt Mitchell fantasy pick because he finished 26th. So that's, that's my one side note there. I... I, I will say this. Um, I, I don't feel good about any fantasy picks that I've made. They probably all turned out <laughs> bad. Um, it it am, wasn't good for you. I don't know if you looked at it, but it, it wasn't good. I, Dude, I owned Glenn Brown. I know. That should have been like automatic top 10 points. It, dude, he lost so many fish on the first day, only came in with four, then went out and caught him the second day. If he caught him the first day like he caught him the second day, which he seems to think he could have, he just had like the worst day of fishing he's ever had mm-hmm. then gosh could have done it uh one thing that we're all very sad about well i miss i'm very sad about nick linder second overall in the standings now no um we got the forest wood cup coming up uh haven't really started to uh put that together yet um haven't put together the uh dollar values for that event yet, but it'll be an interesting one to pick. Uh, plus side, no such thing as a bad pick at the cup because they're all studs. Oh yeah, uh, which ought to be fun. Um, trying to think. Looking at the AOI standings, um, obviously Jeff Sprague and John Cox kind of fell off hard at the end of the year, and I personally I like John Cox a lot. I just don't see his style as being conducive to winning an AOI uh, championship. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would not be surprised if we see Jeff Sprague contend for an AOI title again, um, in my opinion. I'm really interested to see 
what happens with Gussie next year. Dude got fifth, hammered him. I wonder if maybe it's a little bit, is he fishing a little over his head or if he's, or is he finding his stride? I think we're going to, we're going to find out. Yeah. Yep. Um, other than that, no real, uh, big shocks in there. Good to see Mark Rose have a great season after Mm -hmm. last year's was such a bummer. JT Kenny finally had a good season, made the cup again. I'm sure he's happy about that. Um, but yeah, it was fun, fun little, uh, fun little year. I would say it was. Um, it was kind of weird that the uh, regular season is already over, but we still still have a lot of tournaments to do, so it's gonna we do. keep being busy. And that cup's gonna show up in no time at all. Yeah, it just essentially like a month and a little change, so it's getting there. Yeah, uh, which I guess kind of brings us to the cup. Yeah, we should probably talk about that, or at least the field. Might as well talk about the field and uh, maybe uh, prognosticate a little bit. And I think I'll probably just read the whole field right now. I think we should. Okay, so... You can find the list on flwfishing.com if you are like, oh, man, I don't want to listen to Jody talk about all this. Uh, But it's pretty star-studded, so you might want to listen up. Yeah, I I think so. Um, August, Wheeler Lake, the 4th through the 7th. going to be epic uh going just just running down the list um you got uh 50 anglers in the field uh you got brad knight scott martin jeremy lawyer hampton anderson he's a college fishing national champion uh joseph webster tbf national champion the uh, costa flw series national championship qualifiers uh ray hanselman oh baby brandon perkins david barnes senior Charlie Wire, Brian Holder, Nick Pervanozak, Tyler Sudarth, Jeff Hippert, Bill Chapman, and Denny Brower. Oh, mm-hmm. baby. <laughs> yeah. I am so hyped about Ray Hanselman and Denny Brower in the cup. It's going to be <laughs> awesome. Uh, then the uh, tour anglers who qualified uh, by AOI, Andy Morgan, Chris Johnson, Stetson Blaylock, Jacob Wheeler, Jeff Gustafson, Jeff Sprague, John Cox, Michael Neal, Mark Rose, Shin Fukai, Scott Canterbury, Matt Airy, Wesley Strader, Cody Meyer, Jamie Horton, JT Kenny, Clark Wendlet, Brian Thrift, Daryl Robertson, Scott Suggs, Greg Bohannon, David Dudley, Brian Schmidt, Todd Auten, Shane LeHugh, Brandon McMillan, Terry Bolton, Corey Johnston, Dan Moorhead, Clark Ream, Jim Tut, Jimmy Reese, Jake Hendrick, Brandon Cobb, and the last man in. Troy Morrow. Ooh. So, there you go. Pretty good field. It is a really good field. I mean, of course it is. It's the cup. You're going to have a lot of cameras in it. But it's an... There's some guys who haven't been here in a while who are very good fishermen. And you've also got your sort of usual uh, group of guys who make it every year and are super studs. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, basically uh, basically what you want to see. Interesting yeah. to see Brian Thrift finish in 33rd, but he went out, made the cup. Or not finish in 33rd, but be so far down the list. Um, right. As opposed to in, like, the top five. <laughs> yeah, he was in 19th. Just I think for... this is the second uh, time in his career he has finished outside of, like, the top eight in AOI standings. Uh, the first Jeez. time was his rookie year. Redonkulous. It's crazy. He's amazing yeah you're right 2007 his rookie year he was 28th this year he was 19th 
other than that, his lowest finish was eighth. Yeah, I'm telling you. Can you believe how good he is? That's insane. It's crazy. Uh, I mean, Andy Morgan's really good, but like Brian Thrift hasn't won as many any as many AOIs, but has more actual wins and is basically just as consistent. Yeah, it's man. If he ever like gets better, imagine that. Wait, hold on. Did you say he hasn't won any AOIs? Well, no, he's won one, right? Okay, yeah. I said as I many. Thought, oh, as many. Sorry. I zoned out for a second, and I was like, wait, he won one in, like, 09 or 10 or something like that. Yeah. And, I mean, okay. he probably will win it. I'm sure he will win more. Oh, yeah, yeah. And not just one more, like, more and more. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Uh, he seems that good. Um, okay, so I guess I mentioned that I'm really excited for Ray Hanselman in the, uh, in the cup. He had a... He fished a Bass Open this year, did decent. He fished a uh, Costa FLW Series event uh, somewhere in the Texas division, or, well, Southwestern division this year, did mm-hmm. decent. Um, but he hasn't won any tournaments lately. I expect to see him. I am very excited to see what he'll do at the Cup. I hope that he, if he doesn't win, then at least uh, makes it way interesting. Because Ray Hanselman uh, on the biggest stage out there is going to be epic. Yeah. Uh, love seeing Danny Brower in the cup. I don't know if he's fished a cup before. He probably has. But it's always cool when you get a uh, epic old-timer around there. Um, For sure. You know, Danny Brower and Larry Nixon are kind of, in my mind, uh, equally amazing. And... It's going to be fun to have him mm-hmm. in the cup. Uh, I guess I'm stoked that, J- that Gussie made it. Uh, if you had a pre-tournament favorite, who you got? Oof. While we're, while we're talking cup, might as well, right? Man, I don't know. Uh, like, it's so hard that... problem uh, is, this cup... Probably there are going to be about a hundred things to do in it. Yeah, and, and I think we're going to need to have uh, Luke Duncan on because he didn't make the cup, but we're going to need to have him on to talk Wheeler. Oh, for sure, and to really dial into this thing because it's the type of tournament to me, from what he said to me, and I'm sure what he'll say when we actually get down to the you know nitty gritty. It could be one offshore, it could be one on brush, it could be one up shallow, it could be one on the river, it could be one on a combination of those things. So there's no mm-hmm. way to say. Oh, well, I'm going to pick the 10 ledge fishermen here. They're the guys. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, you could see, uh, you look through the list, you know, we do have, uh, well, I like your your pick of uh, Brandon Perkins as being a guy that we should watch out for. Yep. Because uh, he's from, he's a Tennessee guy, he's a Pickwick guy. Uh, like you mentioned, he's a, he's a Lambert, but just not as well known. Like, he's been, you know, matching wits with him and Haynes. Um, for a few years, doing pretty well. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a good tournament. Plus, you have like, uh, oh, man, who else? Gosh, like I was talking about, like a Scott Suggs, really good at fishing brush piles. Uh, thrift, really good at fishing brush piles and shallow. Like, this could be a thrift cup. If you, I mean, if it, if it plays out that many ways, who's better at just saying, I'm going to fish all of it? <laughs> and catch stuff off it. 
than yeah. Brian Thrill. He's maybe the best at it. Jesse what about and I were, an Andy Morgan Cup? You know, I've been saying this for a while now that this is the one Andy Morgan wins. Like this is his best chance, I think. For sure. It, dude, it could happen. It could legit happen. It's not. This is not a tournament that Andy Morgan is going to be outclassed by any one particular technique. You know what I mean? Because he's mm-hmm. not a specialist necessarily. He's no. a. There are some things that he doesn't do. Like Thrift does everything. Andy Morgan, there are some things he doesn't do, but he does enough things really well that if you can catch him a few different ways, it could be lookout time. Yes, sir. Um, you know, I guess while we're kind of we were talking about the cup and the qualifiers, a couple guys who surprisingly did really poorly this year didn't make the cup. Uh, I guess first man is Mark Daniels Jr. Finished 79th. Yeah. Did not expect that. Uh, Definitely not. Next man who I'm just floored by, Zach Burge had the sophomore slump of all sophomore slumps. One rookie of the year last year finished, I think, in the top 30 in AOI. Had the one DQ that really cost him. Should have done better than that. Finished yep. 91st. Um, I mean, I don't know how he had such a bad year. It just kind of happened. Yeah. Uh, and just real weird. Not, don't expect, I don't expect to see that when I see, uh, when, when I see him have a tough, I, I didn't expect Zach Burge to have a bad year. I expected Zach Burge to continue to be a transcendent star. Yeah. Yeah. I, I 100% agree with that. Uh, also, the guy, first man out. In 37th in the AOI standings, I'm crushed. Bradley Holman. <sighs> Gosh, so close. So close. 846 points, 853 for Troy Morrow. Mm. Um, but, you know, he made 110,000 this year, won a derby. Not really such a bad year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Considered. Not. Uh... Not something to be too terribly crushed about, all things considered. Yeah, I would say so. Um, let's see. Looking at the guy who made the most money this year uh, is, let's see. Well, I guess realistically, it's not Andy Morgan. If even Scott counting Mark. his 100000 it's uh, it's actually Scott Canterbury. Hammerberry. Yeah, hundred and seventy-eight thousand. Dang. That's, that's the hundred and twenty-five thousand at Beaver, and then realistically, he had two other top tens or top twelves. Um, so or top twenties or whatever. So that's the uh, that's your high earner on the season. Uh, of Not a bad year. Big time year for uh, old Hammerberry. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Looking down, um, Zell Rowland finished 82nd, which, granted, not great. Somehow managed to do it and never cashed a check all year. Interesting. The next guy below that is in 92nd. It's Jason Abram, and he never cashed a check. Um, hmm. Uh, most guys, until you get to 135th, pretty much most guys cashed a check at some point in the year. But... It's interesting to sort of see 
it's interesting to just look at the uh, standings and sort of look who's who's where, who made good money, who just was consistent and kind of out of it or something like that. But mm-hmm. it was uh, it was a fun season for sure, and kind of oh, a yeah. mixed up a mixed up AOI leaderboard from usual. Obviously, Andy Morgan's at top at the top. That's not surprising, but the rest of it is kind of uh, kind of oddball. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, man, I tell you what, I have a tremendously enjoyed talking to you. Um, oh, it's been fabulous. At the same time, I'm kind of feeling like it's time for me to eat lunch and uh, possibly go catch hogs. You should definitely go catch hogs. Where are you going to do that at? I think I'm going to go to St. Catherine today. Uh, probably go to Bombazine a couple days. I'm going to do one day, at least one day up on Champlain for smallmouth. I think that's going to be Thursday because it looks like we got good weather on Thursday. Nice. Uh, Friday, uh, Mom and I are going to go to a Red Sox game. Cool. Hashtag party time. <laughs> uh, go Sox. Angels <laughs> suck. <They> really. <laughs> I'm fine with the Angels. I'm excited to see Mike Trout play. I really hope he plays. I, he'll, I imagine he'll play. Because, dude, watching Mike Trout, I watched him a couple times when I, was, when I went to Twins games while I was in Minnesota. He is such a good ball player. It is amazing. It's, Mike Trout is, like, better than Andy Morgan. It's amazing to watch people that good do things, you know, where you just sit Dang. back and you're like, wow. It's like when I was, when I, when you go out, when I go out and do those practice galleries, there are some mm-hmm. guys, Shin was one of those guys who you're just like, dang, these guys are good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's like that on the baseball field, which I appreciate. Okay. Uh, so it'll be fun to watch him. Um, hopefully the Sox win. They haven't been winning much lately. <laughs> been, uh, <laughs> they started out hot. Um, but I think that ought to do it. Uh, Kyle, I guess uh, we'll, we got some social media stuff to uh, to talk about here, and then we'll call it a day. Yes. Yes, we do. Uh, FLW Fishing on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, FLWFishing.com. All great places to be. Uh up later this week, maybe early next week, we will have a video with Scott Martin. Jesse and I filmed uh, on the on Monday, yesterday. It was uh, caught some fish in it, so that'll be good. That's um, always a bonus. It uh, didn't it didn't get to do the smallmouth deal because it was blowing way harder than it was any day of the tournament. I mean, it was impressive, but uh, we did get to go out catch some largemouth, sort of mess around in Missisquoi. And I think that'll be be a good show for at least that aspect of it. Um, so we got that coming to you, and that'll be, of course, YouTube and FLWFishing.com. Um, mm-hmm. You can follow FLW on uh, Snapchat, FLW Official. Uh, Kyle, you're at Kyle Lumber on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I am uh, Jody Blanco on Instagram and Twitter. Jody Blanco Snaps on Snapchat. Uh Going to be a pretty good Snapchat week from a, a both, I believe, fish and cute animal perspective. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, let's see. Other than that, uh, we've got an email, correct? We do. Uh, questions, comments, concerns. Maybe you just miss hearing Jody and I, and you just want to email us to be like, hey, what's up, guys? You haven't been doing podcasts as much. Uh, you can send those to us at podcast at flwfishing.com. I think we are definitely going to be 
a little bit better at uh, working on the podcast, getting these things out at a consistent basis going forward. It's been, yeah, got a little rocky there doing well, the tournament coverage thing. And we knew whatnot. that June was going to be tough because it was busy. Um, but we're going to, I think, you know, here on out, unfortunately, we have the most time to podcast when there is less stuff going on. But we're going to be a little bit better. We've got iCast coming up pretty soon. FLWFishing.com, your home for all the iCast coverage you could need. Uh, so that'll be interesting, I think. And uh, I guess that ought to do it, man. I think so. All right. Well, well but, hey, good luck this week with uh, whatever it is you're doing, actual work, <laughs> stuff like that. Going right, fishing, right. Uh, celebrating the 4th of July. Hashtag America. Um, yes, sir. Hashtag flag emoji. <laughs> um, I love um, doing emojis as hashtags on Instagram. It's one of my favorite things. Oh, I might um, have to. I might have to start playing with that. Pretty much every time I use the Canada Canada flag emoji on the FLW Instagram for one of one of the our Canadian boys. Oh, well, sure, sure. I start. We are in like the top little like the trending uh, deal for that emoji. Pretty cool. Okay. They, they love them some. Uh, they love them some Johnston. Let's be, let's be serious. It's some gussy. What? I tell you what, man, you go enjoy a well-deserved break after three weeks of straight tournament coverage. Go look at some cute animals. Go catch hogs. And uh, I'm going to go do whatever it is I do. And we'll chat next week. Sounds like a plan. All right, dude. See you. <laughs>